Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for just the divine now. Lord God, that you would take the foolishness, the simplicity of preaching, and you would transform hearts and bring light and life and truth and liberty and freedom. Lord Jesus, bring matter to every soul here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Roger, one of the pastors here. We are doing, and are in week two, of the series called Facing the Giants. Now, for every dream, there's a promised land. But in every promised land, there are giants. And we're not called to ignore the giants, but we're called to face them. And we're called to have victory over them. Last week, we, we looked at Pastor Sai and Greg in the evening, did an incredible job on, on ministering on the giant of looking good. Who was here last week? So good. And uh, we are not called to live in the fear of man. We're not called to fake it. We're not called to be pretending. We're called to live free from the fear of man. And today, we're going to look at the giant of feel good. In Deuteronomy 7, and this scripture pervades all four of the sermons that we're going to look at, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, your promised land, your land of joy, your land of blessing, the life that he has for you. And when he drives out before you the many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hibites, and the Jesusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. There are some things in life that you're not meant to settle with. You're not meant to compromise with. You're not meant to let them just be in your life. And we're going to look today at this giant of feel good, whereby we become enslaved to this, this idol, this giant of being led by our feelings. Now, feelings are good, but when we are enslaved to feel good, it's a terrible place to be. So what is feel good? And it's the adulterated pleasure principle. Not unadulterated, because there is pleasure in God. And we'll talk about that. But it's the adulterated, it's the perverse pleasure principle. And this is what the giant of feel good is. It enslaves you to selfish pleasures and self-centered gains and deceives you in the process. It's the YOLO and the FOMO. <laughs> it's like, I'm... I've only got one life and I'm going to miss out if I don't do this. You don't want to miss out and, and, and you're fearing and so you get deceived. And once it's got you by that hook, it's almost too late. The giant of feel good keeps you trapped in the sensual with little or no attention to the spiritual. So my wife inspired me, following Caroline, inspiring her to fast for 10 days on... Um, just veg and, and, and fruit. No coffee, can you believe it? No meat, can you believe it? Amen. And what struck me in this fast was how, A, my flesh rose up in so many little, in little, in so many little ways. But secondly, how I became so much more aware of the spiritual. You know, when you are enslaved to this giant of feel-good, 
your attention to spiritual is so minimal and eventually gets completely crowded out. So praying and reading and sharing Jesus and worship, it's so hard for you because this giant of feel-good pervades. So it's all about your pleasures and it's all about what feeds your soul and not the spirit. The giant of feel-good deceives you into avoiding all necessary perseverance, all necessary gratification deferral, and all necessary suffering. Just consider the working world for a moment. If you want to succeed, you've got to be willing to endure. You've got to be willing to persevere. Anybody who's studied, any parent, anybody who's maintained a healthy relationship, they understand that you can't live in the feel-good the whole time. But there's necessary perseverance. There's necessary delay or deferral of gratification. And sometimes there's even necessary suffering. There's certain suffering as Christians we should be willing to endure. Suffering for the gospel, for sure. The giant of feel-good eventually will control your emotions, your mind, and your heart, and eventually becomes the source of those compulsions and addictions, and then you are enslaved to it. Now, in South Korea, there's this tragic story of a young man in the city of Taegu called Sung Sob Lee, and he went into an internet cafe, and he played an old game called StarCraft continuously for 50 hours. He went into cardiac arrest, and he died at the local hospital. A friend reported he was a game addict. I mean, no kidding. You know? He couldn't stop himself. And about six weeks before his death, his girlfriend, also a big gamer, broke up with him in addition to him being fired from his job. As we give ourselves over to this giant, the end is destruction. The end is compulsions and addictions. If you are bound by this giant to feel good, you will miss your purpose. You will ultimately struggle outside of God's favor, and you may even lose your salvation. Now, God's heart for us is life and life abundant. From the very beginning, he put, us, put man in the Garden of Eden, and his heart was, enjoy, be prosperous. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief, the devil, your enemy, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus, ah, Jesus speaking, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, the early church wrestled with this, and there were two heresies. The one was asceticism, whereby we enjoy nothing. You know, whereby we, we live in the desert, you know, harder is better. And the other one was hedonism, and neither one is the gospel. Paul talks about, I've learned to be content whether I have many, whether I have much or whether I have little. Because the fullness of life is not found in us being bound to this, this idol of feel good, but it's in following Jesus. Jesus said, John 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be complete. So Jesus wants you to have joy. He wants you to have life and to the full. And he doesn't want you to be bound by this giant that will deceive you and catch you. And eventually it's like too late or almost too late. We're going to look at the king of feel good. Or rather the slave of feel good. The slave king. 
of, of feel good, which was Samson. He had been set apart from the womb for great destiny, just like you. You know what the word of God says? He knows the plans he have, has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. This is for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he was raised in the truth. And you have access to the truth here on a Sunday and in your connect groups and so many other ways. And he was graced with incredible gifts. And to each of us, God has given a metron, a measure of gifts. Okay, so maybe you can't bench press a car like Samson could. <laughs> but each of us have got gifts and there's a calling on each of us. And yet he was enslaved to feel good. And so he ended up having the most miserable of lives. Blind and enslaved. And he really, he destroyed his life and his identity and the fullness of what he was meant to, meant to do, we don't know. He was the last of the judges, of the great judges. He was the 12th. Unlike the others, he did it not by raising up an army, he did it by the strength of his own right hand. So he's unique. He's unique in what he did, but he's also unique in the way that he was bound to this, to this giant of feel good. How did this happen? There was a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, small clan up north. He had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. A great shame, a great embarrassment. Basically, there's no wealth in this family with our children in those days. And the angel of the Lord appeared. So God intervenes and says, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Oh, happy day. Now see to it that you, the woman, drink no wine or other fermented drink, no beer, whatever, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, and we'll look at what a Nazarite is, dedicated to God from the womb, and he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So God is raising him up. You know, God wants to raise you up. God wants to use you mightily. God wants to make you into a hero. But you can't be enslaved to this giant if you're going to be the hero that God has called you to be. So what was the Nazarite? A Nazarite, look on the left, and the left-hand side of, of those columns. A Nazarite was called to firstly not touch the dead. Now, in many cultures, when someone dies, that's the time to embrace the body, to kiss, and to say goodbye. And I'm sure many of you have been to funeral services like that. And the command of a Nazarite was, you will not ever touch the dead. In other words, he was set apart in his private and his family life. And the opposite of touching the dead is to touch the life of God. Now, if you consider the Nazarites and you consider them in the context of Israel, I believe the Nazarites represent God's true people. So we've got all of Christendom, but we've got those who really love God. I don't believe the two billion Christians in the world today are all going to heaven. I believe it's those who are Nazarites who are following after Jesus, who truly have given their hearts to him, those who are pursuing God's life. Secondly, don't drink. Now, there was no prescription. There was no limitation on, on drinking in Israel. But he was being told that he was set apart in his social life. He couldn't sit with the boys and have a beer because God was meant to be his greatest friend. And God is meant to be your 
and my greatest friend. And lastly, no haircut. Now, I wish I'd had that problem. You know, I'm glad I've got just a little bit of hair. My haircut options are very limited. But uh, <laughs> he was told, no haircut. And in this way, he was set apart publicly and visibly. And we are called to be Nazarites, set apart to stand up for God in public. This is the call of God upon us. If we are Christians, if we are true Christians, then we are meant to be set apart in our families. We're meant to be set apart socially. We're meant to be set apart personally and publicly. So Samson is set apart as a Nazarite. His mother doesn't partake from a young boy. He doesn't, doesn't touch grapes. He's, his hair isn't cut. And it talks about how the Spirit of God begins to stir upon him and, and there's strength upon him. And we see here now, it begins to be a manifestation that, that Samson, although strong, although graced, although called, he is a slave to this giant of feel good. And what he desires, seemingly above all, is the honey of the world. There's God's honey and there's the honey of the world. Honey number one, Samson goes down to Timnah and there saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, and I get her for me as my wife. Just look at that for a moment. I mean, first of all, as a good Hebrew boy, he's not meant to go after the shikses, you know, the unbelievers, that's a Yiddish term. He's not meant to be you know, seeking after a Philistine woman. But he sees her, no conversation, no, hi, I'm Samson, what's your name? No getting to know her. He sees her and he says to his father, get her for me. How would you like to be that woman? Can you feel the lust? He sees her and he says to his father, get her for me. And it's so interesting what his father says to him. He says to him, isn't there an acceptable woman amongst your relatives or amongst all our people, some that believe in God? Because you understand we're not meant to be unequally yoked, brothers and sisters. So this isn't just about Samson's, it's also about you and your boyfriends and your girlfriends. Can I get a yes? Can I get an amen? <laughs> or an ouch? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Samson says to his father, get her for me. Samson seems to have this direct connection between his eyes and the rest of his body, and nothing goes through his head. Nothing goes through his heart. Nothing goes through his conscience. He sees and he wants. All of us can be like this. We see something and we say, I've got to have it. And whether it's sex or video games or shopping or social media or drugs or pornography or that possession or that car, all of us can be like Samson in that we just want the honey of the world and we just want to get it. Second honey, and this was real honey. Samson slays the lion. He rips it apart by his own hands. He leaves it there. Sometime later, he comes across the body of this lion, and he has a look at it. And where he ripped it open, the bees have come, and they've created a hive in the stomach of this, of this lion. And so now there's honey, and, and there are bees there. Now, I don't know if you've ever smelt a lion. Have you ever got close to a lion, like at the lion park? 
I mean, a lion stinks. I mean, lions really smell. We had this terrible situation a few years ago, not a few years ago, about 10 years ago, at our old house in Kensington. Um, a rat died under our floorboards in summer, in our bedroom. <laughs> that was the most awful summer we ever had. And uh, I'm like, it'll pass, you know? And every day it got worse. I'm like, this thing will dry out, you know? <laughs> Eventually we moved out of our bedroom. I don't know how long we moved out. It was weeks. And, and then coming into that room, we had to clean it out. Now, imagine it's a dead, stinking lion. And there is honey in it. And as a good Jewish boy, you're not meant to eat lion, first of all. You know? Secondly, he's not meant to touch anything that's dead. But now he's eating honey out of something that is vile, filthy, and dead. There seems to be no boundaries in him. That if it feels good to me, I'll do it. Despite the command of the Lord. Despite that God has set him aside as a Nazarite. Honey number three. We move on. One day Samson went to Gaza. He seems to have a problem with Philistine women. Because that's a Philistine town. Where he saw a prostitute. And again, no like, let me pray about it, let me think about it, let me call my connect group leader, maybe I shouldn't do it. <laughs> it says, and he went in to spend the night with her. Despite his flesh, God did things. But we see in Samson a man that is ruled by this desire of, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. You know, how can it be right that I, I don't do exactly what, what I feel like doing? It's not just Samson. We're in that very same generation today. You know, they interviewed some Kurdish Peshmerga fighters. These are the women fighters in the north of Syria. And um, they asked him two questions. Firstly, they said to them, um, how are you surviving not having sex? You know, because you're just women together. And their response was, well, we think you in the West are sexually obsessed. You know? We are doing a great thing for our nation. You know? It's not like we're going to die because we're not having sex, which the world tells you. If you're not having sex the whole time, you know, there's pathology upon you. And then they said to them, so we just want to understand, so you're not having sex with men, but clearly you lesbians aren't you? you know? And they said, please, you guys have problems. But the world seems to tell us all the time, just indulge what you want to indulge to the max. And this is what Samson did. He pursued his flesh all the time. He finally meets his match. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman. And that sounds so nice. You know, I fell in love. How many times have you fallen in love? <laughs> he fell in love in the Valley of Sorek <laughs> with a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Just because it feels like love doesn't make it right. Because Delilah was a temptress. And listen, men can be temptresses or tempters as well. So we're not, this isn't about women here. But Delilah was a temptress to him. And Delilah was the source of his destruction. So he yields himself again to a Philistine woman. And remember what she says to him. Tell me the secret of your strength. And she nags him and she cajoles him and she manipulates him and she says, come sleep on my lap. And I'm sure they slept together as well. 
And he tells her, but not the real thing. And she does it, and she ties his hair up and ties him with bows. And time and time again, he sets himself free when the Philistines come. Until eventually he yields himself to her completely. And she knows I've got him now. And so she cuts off his hair. She removes his strength completely. And she calls the Philistines, the Philistine lords who'd set this whole thing up. I mean, they're the real criminals in this. And they grab him, and he can't resist them any longer. He's given himself over. This giant of feel-good has conquered him. They seize him, and they pierce his eyes. They pop out his eyes, and they bind him, and they take him for the rest of his life. All he must do is he must crush wheat. And this is the end result of anybody who completely gives himself over to the giant of feel-good. Now, what is the heart of God? The heart of God is that we would taste of his honey. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. There is abundance. There is joy. There is life. There is fulfillment. There is all good things. But it comes as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things are added. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a fulfilled life. Of course he does. But he knows it comes about not by pursuing idols, but by pursuing him. I wrestled with this next scripture, Psalm 37 verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All through my 21st year, I meditated on this, and I was like, really? He will give me the desires of my heart, whatever the desires of my heart are? And I came to realize that it's in the first part, that as you delight in God, your desires that are not that kosher, your desires that aren't that right, just seem to wash away. But as you delight yourself in the Lord, you become refined. You are no longer captured by this giant. And then he does. He gives you the desires of your heart. We all love things. We are all passionate about things. And there's nothing wrong with that. The question is, what are you passionate about? And St. Augustine gave a great treatise, and he said the following, the essence of sin is disordered love. It's not hate, it's disordered love. For example, when you love the finite more than the infinite, that's disordered love. When you love in the wrong order, sickness and sin follow. So I'm called to to love God before I love my wife. I'm called to love God before I love my children, before I love this world. There's so many beautiful things in this world. There's so many wonders and blessings in God. But it's got to be in the right sequence. It's got to be ordered love. And when it's disordered, that's when heartbreak and destruction and enslavement follows. Proverbs 10 says the following. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. There's no catch, there's no clauses, there's no hook, there's no achterskort, there's no balloon payment at the end, there's no surprise in the fine print. It's all awesome. He adds no trouble to it. But in the world, you know what we find? A law of diminishing returns. So the first time you, you do it, what a kick, what a hit. I so enjoyed it. The second time you do that thing that you shouldn't do, mm, still good. 
Third time, eventually it's like, uh, but I'm just going to keep doing it. The law of diminishing returns, you get less and less and less out of these things of the flesh. Till eventually you go beyond the point of diminishing returns, till eventually this thing has got you. And it starts to eat you up and it starts to destroy you and it starts to kill you. When we pursue idols instead of pursuing God, we end up in this place. And we're all somewhere on the spectrum. You know, I wrestled with this word. You know, I don't want to be that guy, that pastor, that always does the hellfire and brimstone sermon, which in some ways this is. But you know what? I love God and I love you more. (laughs) And I understand that this is something that we face. And you need to be able to see that giant. You need to be able to recognize that giant that you don't stay captive to it, that you don't end up doing stuff you shouldn't do, and then one day you wake up and say, what have I done with my life? You end up like Samson, and you're grinding on a wheel, and you're blind, and you're naked, and you're being scoffed at. What is this idol that we talk about? When you turn a good thing, can be any good thing, could be your career, could be your health, your looks, when you turn a good thing into an ultimate thing, that's an idol. There are good things that you are looking to in order to give you what only God can give you. This is when it's an idol. And this is where you're going to be on this law of diminishing returns and you're going to get to a place of negative returns. And I pray, and some of you are there now, you will break out of that and and press into God and press into his life. So here's the picture of where Samson ends up. And he ends up Missing his purpose, having no joy in life, no wife, no life, no children. He's just, he's on that grinding wheel. He's struggling outside of God's favor. And all of us can end there and even lose our salvation. And you might not believe me, but let's read what Philippians 3 says. Paul speaking, he says, I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Paul's saying, I love you, and I love these people. He says, there are that there are many whose conduct, in other words, what they are doing with their lives, their conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. What is your conduct? Does your conduct show that you are a Nazarite set apart pursuing him? Or does your conduct seem to indicate something else? Because what does Paul say? They are headed for destruction. They are on this path and they're headed for a cliff. And unless they turn, we know it's going to happen. Their God is their appetite. Now the translation or the actual original Greek is their God is their stomach. They are ruled by their desires for fine food, fine women, fine whatever. And they brag about shameful things. And they think only about the life here on earth. We're not called to be captured just by YOLO, you don't only live once, you live for eternity. And this is just the stage. This is just the audition. The real life is is in eternity with God. And Samson ignores this. And he's graced and gifted and set apart and called. But he ignores the call of God and so ends up in this desperate place. Please note, I'm using New Testament scriptures. Do you know that sacrifice improves your future. Now this applies in the most 
profound and fundamental way with Jesus' sacrifice for us. That if you find yourself and you are a slave to the feel good, that's why Jesus came. He came for every one of us. All of us have been or are somewhere on the spectrum of being slave to sin, slave to sin, a slave to the feel good. But the, on, at, the, at the most fundamental level, Jesus' sacrifice has radically, not just improved, has radically secured our future as we put our trust in him. But consider great athletes. Their sacrifice improves their future. Consider great entrepreneurs, men and women in the corporate sector, their sacrifice. Consider professors and academics who studied hard and for years. Their sacrifice improved the future. Consider happy marriages. The sacrifice of each spouse helped secure the future. So when we think we have to not indulge or, or sacrifice, there's something strange about it. We're ignoring what just happens out there all the time. Galatians 6, Paul writes, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's an encouragement here. Just keep sowing to the Spirit. But if you are sowing to the flesh, then cry out for grace. Cry out for grace because you're headed for destruction. And we're going to talk in a moment just about, about the means of accessing the grace of God. And those of you who are sowing to the Spirit, keep going. Because in due season, you will reap such a great harvest in your life. And this is how we overcome the giant to feel good. By sowing to the Spirit. By understanding the power of sacrifice. Firstly, Jesus that sets us free, but then us sowing to the Spirit. James chapter 4, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So you may spend it on your pleasures. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Understand this. You are spirit. You and I, we are spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. Remember what Jesus said to the devil? You know, Do this and you know, turn this into bread. Turn the stones into bread. And he said, Man does not live by bread alone because we are spirit beings and we're not called to be slaves to the flesh. And if we're pursuing the flesh, we are adulterous. We're two-timing God and no man can serve two masters. 2 Timothy 3 says, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. As far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. So there's great and severe consequence as we pursue the flesh as opposed to pursue God. So what are the means of grace? I'm going to give you seven, but this is the big one. Okay? If you remember just one thing, this is the great means of grace. And it is change your affections. Change the object of your passion. Change the object of what you love. We all love things, but what is the object of your affections? David Wallace, famous atheist, said the following. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everyone worships. The only question is, what do you worship? Jesus speaks to the churches in Revelations and he says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. 
Remember, therefore, where you have fallen from and repent and do the deeds you did at first, which was what? To love. Or else I'm coming back to you. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You get to choose where your affection is. Are you going to choose, as Samson did, to go after the, the honey of the world, the dead lions and the Philistine prostitutes? Or are you going to pursue that which is life? The other means of grace, repentance, humility, confession, the word, the spirit, and fasting. As, as believers, repentance is more than saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a complete change of values. Repentance is a mindset. It's metanoia. I was going this way. I changed the way I see things. I changed the way I value things. And I go this way. And you know what comes? Times of refreshing. Blessing and life and joy comes. Humility. You know, sometimes I get bugged by my wife when she corrects me, but she just didn't say it right. You know what I mean, husbands? <laughs> or wives. Maybe your husband does, but just not right. And I'm just, I'm not, if she'd only said it nicer, it would be so much easier for me to receive this correction. <laughs> is it you, Tony? And you know what it is? It's, it's lack of humility on my side. It's pride because I'm ignoring the point. I'm ignoring the fact that I'm being corrected and we need to be open to each other's correction. But how much more that we're willing to receive the discipline of the Lord? And don't become weary when he corrects us or reproves us. For he disciplines us as sons. If he loves us, he corrects us. Confession. There's a lot that happens just with us and Jesus. But there are some things that only happen with somebody else. You know, I think of a couple of times I'm walking to meet Dorian for breakfast. We've got a standing breakfast every Tuesday morning. It happens about every second week. And I'm going to go see him, and I've got this option. Do I just talk about superficial, or do I talk about what's really bothering me? But now, I don't want to talk about what's really bothering me, because we've spoken about it before, and I feel ashamed that I'm still sickling with it. You know, so I don't want to talk about the real thing. I don't want to talk about this wrestle, or this struggle, or this pain, because I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the hero. Okay? I don't want to be revealing my flesh or my sin. But the Word of God says... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And there's a degree of liberty that comes when you confess to your brother and to your sister. Later on, we're going to, have, we're going to open up the front, and this time it's going to be men only be prayed for by men and women only be prayed for by women. But if you are wrestling with this giant of feel good, come forward and just, just even if it's just one word, anger, you know, Lust for this, whatever it might be, we're going to trust with you for this thing to be broken. But it comes through us confessing. How can a young man keep his way pure? We've got to have the word in us. We've got to have the word shape us, not we shape the world, the fabric of the universe according to our desires, but let the word shape us. We overcome by walking in the Spirit. I found in the season of, of fasting that I could hear the Holy Spirit and I could follow the Holy Spirit so much easier. And, and these last two just flowed together so much. Jesus said, this kind only comes out but by prayer and fasting. And if you are struggling to follow the Holy Spirit, it might be that you need to fast.
Above all, we need to follow the Holy Spirit. I conclude on the greatest means of grace, and that is return to your first love. You know, some people say, Jesus is my Lord. But if I say to you, is Jesus that pearl of great price? Is he the one that you've sold everything for because you know that this is the treasure above all? Have you made Jesus your pearl of great price? Let's pray together. I want to give you an opportunity today. If you're not right with God, you're backslidden, or maybe you've never given your life to him. I want to give you an opportunity now to surrender. doesn't mean that you come having already got victory. You come in your brokenness. You come in your addiction. You come in your shame. You say, Jesus, here I am. I repent. Come into my life. Forgive me. doesn't mean you're joining this church, but what I am asking you to do is to be decisive and say, that's me. So if you have fallen away or, or maybe you've never really given your heart to him and today you want to, I'm going to ask that you lift up your hand there by saying, Lord, here I am. If that's you, just be bold. As you do, God gives grace to the humble. But he resists the pride. Thank you. Thank you. A couple of hands. Anybody else? God bless you, ma'am. Church, can we all stand together, please? This is just logistical. If you've lifted up your hand, I'm going to ask that you come to the front. And the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner. And we rejoice as you come forward. This is the way we did. This is what we did. So if you lifted up your hand, come to the front. So great. Thank you. Is anybody else? Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. This is the start. This is the start. We're going to pray for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But going forward, you need to be in community. You need to get the word in, inside your life. You need to allow people into your lives. Just as you're allowing people in your heart, you need to allow people in your lives. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then some people are just going to help you, give you some scriptures. Church, won't you pray this prayer aloud with them? Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn from doing it my way. And I choose to follow you. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I declare you are my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we pray that the power of sin and bondage would be broken. Lord, that your life and your abundance would come. And we pray never the same. Never the same. Add them to your life and add them to family. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.